Welcome, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Philip Mona. This podcast is called Tell It Straight. This is episode number two, recording this on Friday the 15th. So tomorrow is the beginning of the division round of the playoffs, which is super exciting. Some people say it's the most exciting, best week of football of the season. So I'm really excited to see what happens. I think there's just really good matchups and a bunch of good storylines I'm going to go over. I'm going to talk about starting quarterbacks for each team that's remaining in the playoffs. I'm going to talk about how they developed from the rookie year to now. I'm going to go over and give my game expectations, things that I expect to happen throughout the course of the day tomorrow. And I'm going to give some score predictions. I got a lot written down here. I you know, went digging a little more for some stats, and uh, I think this is going to be a really solid episode. So um, let's just hop right into it. First quarterback I'm going to talk about pretty predictably is Josh Allen. You know, it really pissed me off. He is one of the most hated quarterbacks. Um, I think one of the reasons why I like Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield so much, obviously they're two starting quarterbacks for my favorite two teams, but they just get so much shit for no reason from commentators and uh, NFL talk heads, whether it's the shows I've mentioned in the first episode or some other um, outlets and stuff. And it's just because I think that really people don't want to be wrong. So whenever they make their immediate prediction of the player coming out of the draft, or sometimes if there's like some off the field issues or different things that they'll just nitpick and they'll just try so hard to twist a narrative to make it out. Like that player is just not very good. Um, which is frustrating, especially when that player is playing good and people just don't want to acknowledge when they made a mistake, um, which I suppose is just everybody. But at the same time, uh, sometimes it's nice when you just go, you know what? I got that one wrong. They're playing great. Yeah. So Josh Allen starts out. I always, once I saw him first start playing, like I mentioned in my last episode, I was um, really shocked when the Bills took him um, because I didn't know much about him. But he was a super, it was pretty obvious to everybody that he was really raw. He was going to need some time before he formed into his highest potential as an NFL player. And that was, I mean, he had a 50% completion in college. You know, that's not very good. Usually you like to see, I don't know, you see some draft analysts that would say that you want a quarterback to have like 60% in college and they want to have attempted so many amount of passes or played so many amount of games so you can get a good sample size to try and predict how they're going to pan out in the NFL. But yeah, Josh Allen didn't play good in college. And he's, it's rare to see a player that never really uh, had large success in any phase of their football career. I don't, I'm not too familiar with his high school, um, but you know, in college, I mean, that's just so important to expect because some players are bad in college and they turn into great pros, but it's just, it's just really rare. So kudos to the, anybody who really had the, Josh Allen high on their draft board because that's just really good foresight to kind of predict that all that talent that he had coming out would translate into him turning into the player that he is today. So coming back to, I don't really like this word, but I'm going to, I'm going to use it. Uh, the haters for Josh Allen, his rookie year, a lot of people would reference that as to why he was bad. He had 10 touchdowns and 12 interceptions. So whenever you see a quarterback that has more interceptions than they do touchdowns, that's just obviously not a good sign. So the thing that a lot of people leave out is that even though he had the 10 touchdowns and 12 interceptions and he had a low 52.8 completion percentage, which was, I believe, 32nd in the league at the time, he had eight rushing touchdowns as well. And I think that's really important to kind of tell the whole, to, I mean, to paint the whole picture and tell the whole story of what he did for the team. Because his starting receivers, as I, I, I named a few of them in my first episode, he had Zay Jones... Um, who was they trade the Bills traded up in the second round to take him? He had Calvin Benjamin, um, who was I believe he was a first round pick by the Panthers. He had a solid rookie season with Cam Newton, and then he hurt his knee. He missed a year, didn't really pan out with Carolina, and the Bills ended up trading for him. They had Robert Foster. I mentioned him in the first episode, undrafted free agent wide receiver out of Alabama, physically talented as an athlete, but did, was an exceptional catching the ball, not a really good route runner. And they had Andre Holmes who was like a slot receiver um, that was, he, I know he was on the Raiders before he was on the Bills, and he was just old and slow. I would literally get, I remember watching Bills games and I would get pissed every time I saw him take the field because I'm like, he's just not going to get open. And it, it just pissed me off. I'm like, you're wasting, a, you're basically wasting a position on the field that you could put somebody else out there and they might even be at like 
a potential threat where he just to me was not in any facet of the game. The thing about the rookie year with Josh is that I realized watching him that he's just going to do whatever it takes to get the win. And you can see through his numbers that from his rookie year to now, he's ran a lot more um, when he was younger and he's kind of dialed that back as he's developed more as a passer. But I think it is a combination of him developing as a passer, but also you have to consider that he doesn't need to run the ball as much because he's getting better. But if the Bills need him to run the ball, I mean, you look at last week, the Bills versus the Colts. He probably, he had the more rushing yards than the the first two running backs, uh, Devin Singletary and Zach Moss combined. That's one, not a good sign for your uh, offense that your quarterback has more rushing yards than your running backs. But it just goes to show that he's just so dangerous and multifaceted. He's just just so such a good athlete overall that he's able to carry the team to wins. And he's been doing that since he got into the league. Regardless of whether his numbers were pretty or not, he does whatever it takes to get his team to win. Um, and you, I'm sure if you watch any game, uh, any of the primetime games of the Bills this year, they all, all commentators will talk about his completion percentage, how it, like I said, was at 52.8 his rookie year, and then went up to 58, and then 69.2, which you just don't see. I think that's like fourth in the league. It's really rare where you see a completion percentage jump like that, but that's pretty well documented, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about that. But Josh Allen, this having an exceptional year. He was a dark horse MVP candidate for a lot of players, or a lot of commentators and analysts, and he really lived up to those expectations. He had a couple of rough games, but he also had a, I'm not sure if it was a, uh, I don't think it was a torn rotator cuff. I think he separated his shoulder during the Raiders game, making a shovel pass to Stefan Diggs and trying to play quarterback with a separated shoulder from what I hear is pretty fucking hard. So I'm going to give him a pass for the couple of games that he had down. He had a little bit of a slump, you know, in um, a little bit late in September and October. I downplayed that a little bit because... Playing injured is just, it's really hard, especially a quarterback, because that involves so much of uh, mechanics and stuff like that. All right, second quarterback, I'm going to talk about Baker Mayfield. Like I said, Baker's one of my favorite players. I think, I find him to be a really compelling person. He just, he really, uh, like Josh, just, you can tell he just really wants to win. Um, He rubs people some, the wrong way with his remarks to, when he, in the post-game interviews and stuff. But also, I'm going to be honest, the Cleveland media kind of fucking blows. They're just... They asked really dumb questions. I remember last week, it was either last week or the week before, um, one of the, you know, it might have been the Ravens game, I think. So when the Browns post-game interview, the reporter um, asked Baker Mayfield, she says that an angry Baker is uh, is a better Baker, and um, do you try and use your emotion as an advantage? And Baker Mayfield responds with, no, I'm going to try and use it to my disadvantage, and maybe I'll fumble the ball another four times. And it was just like, and it's just laughable because I mean, just stupid questions. I feel bad for quarterbacks and other players that have to sit up there and answer some questions because sometimes they're just fucking bad, stupid questions. And after a game, I would just be like, I would have a headache trying to um, rationalize why I need to spend my time up there. But I mean, it's part of the job. They get paid to do it. So I'm not crying for him. But at the same time, uh, you know, it's just got to be frustrating for sure to when you get some just stupid questions from important different reporters or whatever. So people are rude against him a lot for the uh, commercials, the progressive commercials. I honestly find them to be really funny. Um, and I mean, I wouldn't expect anybody to be like, well, people, I could see how people would call me biased for that, which is fine because obviously I mentioned, I like Baker Mayfield, one of my favorite quarterbacks. I don't see why that's a reason to root against somebody because they make commercials. Like, People, I, I keep seeing different fans comment and stuff like that. And like, maybe if you spend as much time, you know, working on playing quarterback and as you did filming commercials, you would be better. And it's like, first of all, who are you to question what an NFL player does in their free time? Um, second, it's a money-making thing. You get, I mean, there's, it's, endorsements are huge. That's how you make a lot of your money as an NFL player. That's part of being famous is that you're able to do those things and make commercials and make money and profit from that. So I don't see why it should be a point of criticism. It really frustrates me that the media kind of paints that out that way. And also, um, NFL players work full-time to be the best they can be. Now, there's certain NFL players, for instance, like Dwayne Haskins, um, a quarterback for the Washington football team, or like there's other players. Johnny Manziel is a great example, former quarterback for Cleveland taken in the first round. And they didn't really do, they didn't put in the work that it took to be good. And they flamed out and both players were cut. Um, and we're not, I'm not really sure. I mean, Dwayne Haskins 
NFL uh, future career is up in the air. Johnny Manziel, he went try to play in the Canadian Football League, didn't work out. So, I mean, if you don't try hard enough, usually you you don't last in the NFL. Um, so if you're having a productive season, I hate when I see people say that, oh, spend your spend your time doing something else. Because it's like, you know, for, if imagine if every single person that did any job was scrutinized that way. Like, you're going to say to a pizza delivery guy, hey, maybe if you spent less time playing video games, then you would be better at your job delivering pizzas. Like, who? You, nobody should be telling anybody else what they should be doing. So I get frustrated when I see people scrutinize Baker for the uh, progressive commercials. But um, regarding his play, though, um, he had a highly promising rookie season. He broke the rookie. He held the rookie passing, excuse me, the rookie um, touchdown passing record at 27 touchdowns. Um, and I believe Justin Herbert, the uh, rookie out of um, Los Angeles for the Chargers, broke that recently. Um, but still, I mean, that's that's a good sign. That's as a I mean, as a rookie, that's there's nothing better than breaking the uh, touchdown passing record. So. You know, he, he had a promising rookie year. Um, and in the next season, in 2019, Hugh Jackson was fired after four games. I'm sorry, 2018. Um, and then Freddie Kitchens took over. He was They promoted him from the offensive coordinator to the head coach. And um, he was really good as an offensive coordinator. So I'm not really sure. I, I haven't really uh, dove into the film on what um, just was the – major discrepancy between how good the Brown and promising the Browns offense looked when Freddie Kitchens was the offensive coordinator to what happened when he was the um, head coach of what, of what plays he was calling differently, but they just, I mean, there was more that goes into it. So last year, the Browns offensive line, I'm just going to go on the offensive tackles. Their offensive tackles were Greg Robinson, who played left tackle. He's a former second overall pick in, in 2014. He's been with like four or maybe five different teams. If you are a second overall pick and you're with, you have spent more time on multiple teams um, than you have with the team that drafted you, that probably means you're either a bust or you're just not very good or something went wrong. Because if you're a second overall pick, your team should be, you, you should produce as you would expect a second overall pick to do. But then also you would expect that the team would resign you because you've been producing at the level which you should have be expected to produce being taken second overall. The right tackle was Chris Hubbard, the 2018 fifth round pick out of Buffalo. So if you're a lineman that's taken in the fifth round, um, you got a long shot to start. The fact that he was drafted by another team, again, if he was good, Buffalo would have kept him. Buffalo didn't have a good tackle, and they just signed Daryl Williams this year. So um, if, if Chris Hubbard was a starting caliber tackle, Buffalo wouldn't have let him leave. Then again, Buffalo has also left other starting caliber players leave and go. Um, Wyatt Teller is an example that I used last week. But, I mean, usually if your players, if the player can play, the team that drafted him is not going to let him leave. So those two tackles really made it difficult for the Cleveland to pass because if your offensive tackles can't block, you're going to have a really tough season. They had all these expectations. Baker would try and throw deep balls to OBJ, Jarvis Landry, and he just couldn't get the time to pass because their offensive tackles couldn't block. They're just terrible players, and they've majorly upgraded, and that's what um, has per- has led to them having such a good season that they have. But drafting Cedric Wills, or Jedrick Wills, I keep messing that up, I'm sorry, and then signing Jack Conklin over from Tennessee, who were both top 10 in their position, Jack Conklin probably top three. And then now you have Kevin Stefanski, who they hired this season as their head coach. So Baker's come a long way. He had a really good rookie season, had a really major slump, and now he's back up to producing to uh, what you would ex- what you would hope for a number one overall pick to produce. This season, he's got 26 touchdown passing, um, with eight interceptions, and a 62% completion percentage, which to me is impressive because it's his first season with Kevin Stefanski, who brought in an entire new offensive scheme. And that's really hard to do, especially without a preseason because of COVID. I mean, if you look, Tom Brady really struggled a lot in Tampa Bay. Same thing, new offense. It takes time to learn a new offensive philosophy because there's so much that changes from how you read a defense to what you're looking for in matchups to the technique to maybe that you're going to use to throw the ball or how you fake off different play actions and stuff like that. There's a lot that goes into a new offensive scheme. So I'm not going to try. Uh, there's, nobody should be downplaying how impressive that how Baker's season is right now, even though it's just you know slightly above average numbers. I think that that's, uh, that's a really good sign. All right, I'm going to move on to Lamar Jackson. I'm going to start out with Lamar Jackson. I'm, I'm going to go a little bit negative in, but I'm going to start out with uh, the positives because I think that you should, you know, you got to give him credit where credit is due. Lamar Jackson's a winner. There's something to be said for a quarterback 
that takes a team to a winning record on a consistent basis, right? Lamar Jackson as a starter is 30 and seven. That's really good. So you can't take that away from him. He's he played winning football, plays well with a lead. He hasn't turned the ball over often. And yeah, so he's he's played he's played well. My unpopular opinion with Lamar Jackson is that he's just massively overrated as a passer. So he won the MVP last season, and he had 36 touchdowns and six interceptions. But the thing you have to realize about the Ravens offense is that they do such a good job of scheming wide open receivers because their offense is predicated around confusing the defense regarding the run game. So Lamar Jackson is an exceptional athlete running the football. So what they'll do a lot of read options, a lot of um, play actions, different sweep options, a lot of different plays that get Lamar on the outside with the ball in his hands or get him to keep the ball. He's really their feature back as well as being the quarterback, which is just rare. So he's probably one of the best, best athletes overall to play the quarterback position in NFL history. He's just ridiculously fast. He can juke anybody out of their shoes, but as a passer, when you know he's going to pass, I don't think it gets talked about enough that he's just really not an exceptional passer. He's passed for under 200 yards in six games and less than 250 yards in 12 games. If I remember correctly, the big knock on Josh Allen was that he couldn't pass for a 300-yard game. So it's funny to me that no one talks about the fact that Lamar rarely ever passes for a 300-yard game. In his MVP season, he only passed for over 300 yards one time. That's, (laughs) he's a, really really kind of a running back he can throw it but if you get him off his spot he's just really he's really limited as a passer whether it's reading the defenses or delivering the football I mean even last week versus the Titans he didn't do that well through the air he was able to break off two rushing touchdowns and really carry them with his legs if the Titans were able to I mean they did a really good job early in the game they forced him into a really ugly interception where he missed the ball like 15 yards off of where it was supposed to go, kind of towards the sideline and left it hang inside. And it was an easy interception for Malcolm Butler. I mean, if he doesn't break off those huge chunk runs, they probably don't end up winning that game because he just doesn't really pass the ball um, very efficiently. And it's funny, earlier this season, the Steelers, when they got to 12 wins, everyone's like, the Steelers are frauds. The Steelers, they're, they're fake, they're phonies. And everyone was right in that aspect. Um, there's people that were defending the Steelers. I mean, they're, the thing is, they're a talented team, so it's rare you see a talented team blow expectations like that, um, especially when you have a coach that's been as consistent as Mike Tomlin. I mean, the, the Ravens, I would argue, and I mean, you could even, pretty much that entire division is just really, I mean, the divisional matchups are interesting, and divisional matchups for any division are always just tight games, and it's hard to predict because the teams play each other twice a year, so it's... Um, it's more the team, the coaches scheme each other really well because they know what kind of what's going to happen and what each team likes to do. But the Ravens' eleven wins, honestly, I would argue, are just as fraudulent because if you look through the Ravens' record, I'm going to take you through it right here. Week one, the Ravens faced the Browns. They won thirty-eight to six. I'm going to draw this up as uh, more of a result of the fact that Cleveland, coming off a team that is with a new head coach. Um, so basically an entire new offensive scheme. They really didn't get what they wanted to get going. There's just so many moving pieces. So that was just a rough start for Cleveland to open. Um, but Cleveland really, I mean, they started out this year as not really that exceptional team. So then you have week two, they beat Houston, Houston 33-16. to 16. I mean, Houston's pretty mediocre this year to say the least. Deshaun Watson's the only bright spot on their team. They probably score like the record of fewest points in the NFL if they don't have Deshaun Watson. So they faced the probably only quality playoff caliber team on this roster aside from Tennessee week three facing Kansas city and they got shellacked. Um, it was 34 to 20 and that 20 points, a lot of which came in garbage time that, I mean, they just couldn't get anything going. He had, um, 15 completions attempted 28 passes, 53% completion rating, just not anything. I mean, for 97 yards and one touchdown, and then one touchdown, I'm pretty sure came late. So like, just not really, not good. So moving on week four, they faced the Washington football team. Everybody knows every single team in the NFC East is trash. So they beat, easily uh, handled the Washington football team 31-17. They faced Cincinnati. Cincinnati, really not a good team. Aside from Joe Burrow, really not a lot of talent there. I mean, they have they have one or two young pieces that are in place, but Cincinnati is really not good this year, so that's a pretty... Expect, I mean, you expect the Ravens to win that game. They beat Philly 30-28. to 
Philly has a really good D-line and they have a good defensive coordinator. So they were kind of had the potential to be in every game. They just didn't really play up to their talent level, I think. Um, some of that had to do with coaching. Some of that had to do with quarterback. But I'm not really getting into that right now. So then they ended up losing to Pittsburgh. Again, divisional matchups are kind of a toss-up. It's always, to me, 50-50, no matter um, the talent level on each team. Because, again, there's just divisional matchups are always tough, gritty games, especially in that division that they're in. So they lost 24-28. to And the Pittsburgh at the time was a good team. So... I mean, they really, they don't really, they feast off bullying bad teams, which I think doesn't bode well for them. Um, but I'm going to keep moving on. They faced Indianapolis and won 24 to 10. I, Indianapolis was winning that game until, uh, I believe it was Naheem Hines fumbled the ball and was scooped up and returned for a touchdown. And anytime you have those kind of plays, it's a little bit fluky because turnovers, I mean, unless unless you got the quarterback boxed up all game when you know they're going to turn the ball over, if I'm more return for touchdowns, uh, that that just swings the entire momentum of the game. So I'm um, Indianapolis was a, was a solid team, but I'm not really impressed with the 24-10 win over them. And they end up losing to New England. New England, who was pretty bad this year. I mean, the thing is, you can never count out Bill Belichick. They lost though. The Ravens lost 17 to 23 in that game. New England played with, with just really not a talented roster this year at all. And the fact that the Ravens lost um, is disappointing. But again, I th- I'd say that kind of backs up the point I'm making here. Um, then they end up losing in the next week to, in uh, week 10, 24 to 30 to Tennessee. Tennessee out-physicaled them that game. Derrick Henry had a really good game. So they, they handily won that game. That was, a, that was a tighter game. But then week 12, they faced Dallas, won easily. Dallas again, NFC East team, trash, 34-17, easy win. Then they end up facing Cleveland. And I watched this game through and through. By halftime, I'm pretty sure Lamar only attempted six passes. So Cleveland's defense has been, their passing defense has been suspect all year. I'm going to go into that game a little bit more, but they end up winning 47-42. to They faced Jacksonville and won 40-14. Jacksonville, everybody knows Jacksonville has been trash for years. The exception would have been the year they went to the playoffs and beat the Steelers. But that was a fluke year. And then the year after, everybody left. Calais Campbell left. Jalen Ramsey left. A.J. Boye was a pretty, he was a stud at corner. Leonard Fournette left. So all the pieces that they had in place left. And Jacksonville has just been really bad. The Jags owner, Sheed Khan, honestly, I don't I don't really think he's that smart of a guy. He doesn't really seem like he knows what he's doing. But um, so yeah, a pretty easy win there versus Jacksonville, as you'd expect. And they beat the New York Giants, who were pretty limited on offense. They're still a rebuilding team, um, new head coach, but they beat them 27-13 in week 15 there. And then again, Easy win versus Cincinnati, week 17, 38 to 3. Again, you you get a you expect teams that have a lot of talent to blow out teams that don't have a lot of talent. And especially when you have a coach like John Harbaugh, I'm not gonna say that any given week in the NFL is uh, a guaranteed win because that's not how the league works. But you're expected to beat the teams that you have significantly more talent than. And if you have a better coaching staff, that's all the more reason why they should have been able to do what they did there. So I just really wasn't really impressed with the Ravens record. Um, they got to 11 wins, but I mean, Lamar Jackson and in the, in the four games, they lost three of those. He passed 28 or more times. The stats show that if you force Lamar Jackson to throw the ball a lot, it's not going to be, it's not going well for the Ravens. I mean, their team isn't built to pass the ball heavily. Um, their best receivers, they have Marquise Brown, who's really he's a young, really, really fast player. Um, they have Des Bryant, who who really was good in the Cowboys a few years ago, but I haven't really seen him do much for them so far on the Saints. And then you have like Willie Sneed, who's a solid slot receiver, and they have a couple other rotational players that are solid. But their offense really, I mean, I mean they have a good tight end. Mark Andrews is really solid, Pro Bowler usually, um, but their offense really isn't built to pass the ball without the threat of the run. That it, I mean, their play action game is huge. All of their plays are schemes so that you have to be afraid of Lamar Jackson running it or one of the running backs. And if you're not afraid of it and you know they're passing it, you're probably going to have success versus their team. So, um, yeah, like I said before in the first episode, it's really going to be interesting the Bills versus Ravens because if um, if you force Lamar to pass and you take away the run, it's just not going to go well for him. In Week 14, Baltimore faced Cleveland, and they scored 47 points. And he threw for 164 yards. That's so rare that you're going to see somebody throw for 164 yards and have their team score 47 points. 
And the fact that when I mean, watching that game, most of like maybe near half of those yards came off a huge completion um, in the fourth quarter when he scrambled around again, Cleveland suspect pass defense, their safeties are like Anderson Deho and Rodney Harrison. Rodney Harrison's pretty a young player, but um, he just, he scrambled around for a little bit. Somebody, there was a coverage bust and he found somebody, I think it was Marquise Brown wide open for a huge, huge gain. And that was like most of his passing yards in one play. Um, and I'm pretty sure by halftime, he only attempted like six passes. I don't know if I already said that, but um, Lamar's just not an exceptional passer. And I think that he's just way, way overrated for, for what he is there. Next, I'm going to talk about Drew Brees. Um, I really like Drew Brees. I think that he is um, one of those players that he was really underrated coming out of college. Um, you don't really see quarterbacks that are shorter than six foot succeed in the NFL. So I like that that little narrative about him that he kind of proved the doubters wrong. Um, Bacon Rayfield is kind of compared a lot to Drew Brees coming out of college just because he had that similar uh, similar build. And I like that. I, I like that they um, had that little chip on their shoulder because teams that uh, – I mean, teams are reluctant to take quarterbacks based off their size, and they, and they both players proved that a lot of doubters wrong. Drew Brees, um, I mean, just a pinpoint passer. I watching him in his prime was so exciting. Every game, um, especially at home in the dome, he was just elite. And it was disappointing that he only really got one Super Bowl because you'd like to see a player of that caliber talent, um, you know, get some more accolades. And I mean, just exceptional throwing over the hashes. I mean, he would just put the ball. I mean, if you walked up to a player and put the ball wherever you want them to catch it to have them be most um, likely to be able to make the play, it was like he was, I mean, he would put it exactly where he wanted it to go. Um, And it was just super exciting to watch. I mean, when he had Jimmy Graham, that was entertaining as shit offense. Um, You know, he would just make defenses look silly with him on the jump balls. He's had plenty of good receivers. He's really good now with Michael Thomas. Um, he's, he's always been really good passing to tight ends and stuff over the middle, these seam routes. I mean, he does the back shoulder fade, I think better than anybody in the NFL. Honestly, um, it's just so impressive to watch. I mean, looking at his stats, once he's uh, joined new Orleans, 2006, 4,400 yards, 2007, 4,400, 2008, 5,000, 2009, 4,300, 2010, 4,600, uh, 2011, 5,400, 2012, 5,000, 2013, 5,000, uh, 2014, 50 yards short of 5,000, um, you know, 2015, 4,870, 2016, 5,000, 2017, 4,000, and 2018, um, you know, eight yards away from another 4,000 season. And then you've kind of seen him drop off. Um, 2019 and 2020, he's had just shy of 3,000 passing yards. And I think... He's really, as he's gotten older, been limited as a passer because his his deep ball has just really um, diminished as his arm strength has gone. And it's disappointing to see because their offense, when he was at peak strength, um, just lights out. I mean, you, you could just, there was constantly big plays and super exciting to watch. And now you don't really see as many big plays. It's a lot more of uh, 15 yard option routes with Michael Thomas, slants to Michael Thomas, um, dump offs to Alvin Kamara. Just a lot, I mean, screen passes, a lot of different stuff to kind of take the weight off of Drew's shoulders because he's had to carry the team for a, a lot of years. But, you know, it's just, it's disappointing to see Drew Brees get old and kind of drop off because I think that um, it, it stinks because people that are like prisoner of the moment are like, oh, Drew Brees is so overrated. But you, when you think about Drew Brees, I wish that, I wish almost he, I, I don't, part of me wishes he would have retired sooner, just that you would only remember the prime Drew Brees that you know was going to pass for 4,000, 5,000 yards a season and um, was just elite passer, pinpoint, just lasers all over the field, especially in the dome, um, just really good. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, he earlier this season broke a bunch of ribs, getting tackled. I don't really think that he's can hit. I don't think I don't see the Saints winning a Super Bowl because this this year at least because I don't think Drew Brees can finish the season performing efficiently enough to win the playoff games that are required to get to the Super Bowl. I think that Drew Brees, if you if you get in their offensive line and you get kind of interior pressure, shorter quarterbacks don't fare well with that. I think that I think the Bucks are going to give Drew Brees a really hard time unless John Payton has a really exceptional game plan because the Bucks defense is pretty formidable to say the least. Their front seven is really good. I think. Drew has had a really solid career in New Orleans, but I, I think that 
I think that he needs to hang it up after the season for sure. And I, I hope that he does just for the sake of, he's not going to win another one. I don't think he has the ability to. And I think that for fans, it'd be better that people remember him for how he was when he was at the top um, because he just was really, really good. Next quarterback I'm going to talk about is Aaron Rodgers. Man, <laughs> Aaron Rodgers. Just probably the most talented player in NFL history. People used to argue about whether Tom Brady was a GOAT or Aaron Rodgers was a GOAT. The thing with Tom Brady is he got paired up with Bill Belichick. He's I'm not really talking about Tom Brady, so I'm not gonna go I'm not gonna get too much into that comparison just yet. But I mean Aaron Rodgers, he just can do things that nobody else can do. He's got this like swagger and confidence. He's just a insanely good player, and he's really carried the Packers. I think they've really dragged him down, honestly. They've won a Super Bowl, but he should have a lot more than one Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers' talent. They never I don't think they've drafted a receiver in the first round the entire time he's been in Green Bay, which is just stupid and laughable. I don't, I mean, the team there, it's had like, it's just so disappointing that someone with Aaron Rodgers talent, whose career was, I think, largely wasted um, in Green Bay because Mike McCarthy really underperformed and that's why he was end up letting go. He didn't really live up to expectations. When you have a player like Aaron Rodgers, you just, you got to be, you should just be beating teams lifeless on a consistent basis as they have been this season. Well, he's got a um, capable coach in um, Matt LaFleur. So, I mean, Aaron Rodgers can, he can throw the ball any, anywhere on the field. He's completed multiple. He makes Hail Marys look routine. He just, he's the just exceptional thrower. Nobody spins the ball like him. His hands are huge. If you ever see a picture of his hands, they're just, his fingers are like, like rulers, um, elite talent. And the Packers offense has, you know, been taken to a new level this season. And again, it's another one of those uh, situations where they're still kind of developing in the new offense. And the more Aaron Rodgers gets comfortable, the more NFL defenses are really going to have to uh, look out because he's just so dangerous. Um, him and Devontae Adams are the probably the best uh, wide receiver uh, quarterback duo in the NFL. I mean, if they even have a, like, a halfway decent number two, they probably probably win a lot more games than they did and they won most of their games this season um i think they got to 12 wins or something like that if, if not 12 11 yeah aaron Rodgers is just exceptional he if they should have surrounded him with more talent the defense has been bad for years uh it's just starting to, it was just they finally signed zadaria smith and preston smith and then it kind of picked up in the defense a little bit but they have to they really need to do a better job the fact that they wasted their first round pick this year taking quarterback jordan love um, and not only did they do that, but then they ended up taking a running back um, with, I think, their third-round pick, and they ended up trading their second-round pick to trade up to get Jordan Love in the first. And it's just so dumb. You need to take a receiver for Aaron Rodgers. Their, their second and third receivers are like Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who's a really fast guy, but like he doesn't really do a lot of things well. He drops the ball a lot. Their, their really second-best receiving option is um, Robert Tanya, their tight end, who I think was a Pro Bowl snub. He had a really, really good season. He's put out, he's really good in the red zone. And um, aside from that, I mean, he throws the running backs a lot, but there's just really not like a bona fide number two. And it, it would just take so much pressure. I mean, their offense would just be exceptional. I mean, they might even like hit some record levels if they had a capable number two. So, but anyways, Aaron Rodgers, just you can't say enough about how, how good he is. One of the best um, of all time. And he's definitely going to be a Hall of Famer. All right, moving on. Tom Brady. <laughs> As a Bills fan, I hate Tom Brady. Uh, that should be pretty obvious. Tom Brady's an exceptional player. He's a winner. He doesn't really make... When he's comfortable with the offensive system, he doesn't really make big mistakes. He hasn't been as consistent as people have expected him to be comparing to his Patriots years where he was in the same offensive system that was tailored to what he did well. So now that he's in uh, Tampa Bay with... Bruce Arians, whose offense is predicated on like a lot of deep passes, um, it's been a, it's been a big major adjustment for him. And um, people are like, there was a lot of doubters this season. I with, with Tom Brady, I always wait and see because at one time he looks like he throws some interceptions, return for touchdown. It's starting to look like he's you know fallen off, and then he starts to get comfortable, and now he's right back, sudden uh, breaking the Buccaneers single season po- touchdown passing records and passing yards. Back to the Tom Brady we all expect him to be. Uh, he takes care of his body so well. That's why he's able to perform at age 42. Yeah, he's just he's just a winner. He, he has 
um, the most more Super Bowls than anybody else uh, playing quarterback in NFL history, and um, you can never count them out. Even at halftime, I mean, the Atlanta Falcons uh, had a lead on them at halftime. When I was watching that game. They choked it. The Atlanta Falcons are signature for choking leads, similar to how the Falcons choked the lead of the Patriots in the Super Bowl, the 28-3 game. But Tom Brady, I mean, he just doesn't quit. He's got no quit. He's just an exceptionally hard worker. And that's what it takes to win in the NFL. And he epitomizes what it takes to win in the NFL because he is the most winning quarterback of all time. This season, you can't really count the Bucks out. Uh, even though I think their offensive line is a little bit suspect and their defensive secondary can kind can, of get got if I, uh, if, if I may, but Tom Brady just, you already know what you're getting with Tom Brady. I'm not really going to spend a ton of time talking about him because everybody knows about Tom Brady. So Jared Goff, he is an interesting topic. He got drafted first overall by the Rams ahead of Carson Wentz back when the Rams really didn't have a lot going for them. That was before Sean McVay got there. Basically, to that point, Todd Gurley had been carrying the team single-handedly on his back. Todd Gurley was drafted a year before Jared Goff, so um, the only benefit that Goff had coming into the league was that he had um, somewhat of a running game. But uh, Jared Goff had a really tough rookie season. They didn't have a lot of talent. The offensive line was pretty bad. Didn't have a lot to work with. You know, it was really it was tough because you don't really see first overall picks throw five touchdowns and seven interceptions. Uh, as a rookie and he just wasn't good didn't really have much to work with and I was really glad that Sean McVay was able to turn his career around because people were starting to throw around the word bust and that's just that's that's tough um it really stinks especially when you don't really have a lot of other opportunity Jared Goff's rookie season there wasn't much he could do I don't really think that there was many players in his situation that would have succeeded so I was as a just a fan um of the game I was I was disappointed for for the Rams and and sorry for Jared Goff that he had to go through that and I thought and if and if it would have been a shame if they would have given up on him because you know even though he really underperformed in the Super Bowl versus the Patriots and they end up losing that he's just like any quarterback prone to mistakes on occasion I think that Jared Goff is a pretty um, above average player and he throws the ball really his throws always look really well I think that uh, Jared Goff and Sean McVay are a really good combination. Part of me thinks wonders if Jared Goff is holding Sean McVay back a little bit because sometimes he just has this occasional game where it's just like kind of head-scratching mistakes. He threw a bunch of... I mean, he just turned the ball over a ton this year versus the uh, Miami. I think he turned the ball over four or five times, um, whether it was fumbles or interceptions and different things. But um, for the most part, Jared Goff's had a pretty consistent career once Sean McVay got there to kind of set things straight for him. He's, he's definitely a solid player. I like... Uh, I, I personally like him. I don't really know much about his character, but I like watching him play. Yeah, it's so it's tough for him right now. He dislocated his thumb, so it's interesting because they weren't sure if who was going to start, him or his backup. Um, it's like uh, Walford, I think is his name, his backup, um, who really played mostly, benefited from the fact that he's a little more athletic than Jared Goff, so he kind of ran the Rams um, around a little bit on the ground to get them a win, stepping in for Jared Goff after he got injured. Um, just two weeks ago, so um, I'm interested to see how golf plays in the snow in Green Bay, which, you know, the cold weather, numb hands, trying to throw the ball, already had a dislocated thumb that's just he already had, he just recently had surgery on. Uh, I'm really interested to see. I think that they're going to be really limited on offense with, with that situation there. So those are all the quarterbacks I want to talk about, and I'm going to kind of move on to my expectations for the divisional round playoff games tomorrow. First, the Bills versus the Ravens. I... I mean, strengths and weaknesses for each team. Uh, the Bills' strengths on offense are their passing offense. Stephon Diggs, John Brown, Cole Beasley, Gabe Davis, um, Dawson Knox, when he decides not to drop the ball, he only makes the really difficult catches, but he drops all the easy ones, which is just head-scratching for me. I don't understand, but I think that he'll develop more next year. But they can't run the ball. The Bills, when... when it seems... I'm not sure what Brian Dable's thinking sometimes because he'll call up really good plays and really good schemes, and then the next play he'll just call up with just a stupid... I mean, back-to-back-to-back run plays versus the Colts, and they punted um, one of the drives in the middle of the game when they really kind of had to... You would have really liked to see them continue to get more of a lead because they. I think they handily should have won that game, and they really kind of let the Colts hang around, and they're lucky to have gotten away with that game with a win um, and survive because... I don't know. I don't really think Brian Dable called a great game. The Bills can't run it when the, when teams know they're going to run it. They can't. And it seems like every time Josh goes under center, not under shotgun, um, so when he comes right up under the center and takes a snap, 
it seems like they always just have like a stretch run to the weak side, which also you don't really have the numbers advantage there. And our offensive line, I mean, John Feliciano and Deion Dawkins um, are fine, I guess, but I don't know. I just wouldn't make it that predictable when I'm going to run the ball. <laughs> you know, you'd like to see them scheme up some different concepts. I mean, the Bills haven't been awful at running the ball in the past year, so I'm not really sure why it's just so difficult now. But um, yeah, anyways, I, I have the Ravens winning this game because their defense is just so good and they're just so well coached. Um, I think that given that the Bills won't be able to run the ball, they met the se- Ravens secondary matches up really well with Buffalo's offense. I think that the the three four defense that the Ravens employ is going to keep Josh in the pocket. He's not really going to be able to scramble out and kind of make extend plays and make those um, ridiculous throws that he likes to do. So I think that it's going to be. I think it's going to look a little more like the Houston game for Josh, where he just is going to try and do too much because there's not really going to be a lot of opportunities for them as an offense. I think that um, they're not going to get many stops on defense because the Bills' tackling has been really poor this season, and the run defense has been suspect. And the Ravens' offense really plays right into the Bills' weakness on defense. With the, with the run game, Lamar Jackson, and uh, all, all the way they employ their offense, I think that the Ravens win. I'm going to say 28-24. Oh, interesting storyline is Brian Dable, the Bills' offense coordinator, versus Wink Martindale, the Ravens' defensive coordinator, and the former Bills' offensive coordinator, Greg Roman, versus Bills' head coach, Sean McDermott, who runs the defense. I get, you could say Leslie Frazier, but Sean, Sean McDermott has a big hand in what goes on on the defensive side of the ball. That's how he made his money in the NFL, and um, that's what made him such a good head. That's what's making him such a good head coach now is the Bills' defense that has been pretty good most occasions. Something that really surprises me is the Titans' offensive coordinator. Um, I think it's like Dennis Arthur or something like that. He just got hired as head coach for the Atlanta Falcons, and that's really surprising to me because Tennessee's offense is pretty predictable this season, and. You know, they lost the playoff games last week. Um, I didn't really, I was never really, I'm never blown away by the Titans offense because all you have to do is shut down Derrick Henry and that's pretty much a wrap. So all the, everything that he did is really predicated on having a good run game, which you're not always going to have in the NFL. So I was kind of surprised to see uh, the Atlanta Falcons hire him. Um, It's Arthur Smith. I apologize, not Dennis Arthur. But yeah, I mean, I think that somebody who's really underrated is Wink Martindale defensive coordinator because the Ravens they don't really give up big chunk passes through the air the defense is just they're always good every year consistently so it surprises me that he doesn't really get a lot of noise as a potential head coaching candidate they're just they're solid I don't I don't know I mean Robert Sala was just hired as the Jets head coach and I would say Wink Martindale is just as good as Robert Sala honestly Robert Sala is flashy because he's kind of a younger coach kind of big personality it seems like one of those guys who's always fired up on the sideline it's cool to see because he's the first Muslim head coach um, in NFL history. I don't know. I think that uh, I think that Wink Martindale should be talked about a lot more. He doesn't really get, I think, the recognition that he deserves. All right, next game, we got the Browns versus the Chiefs. I have the Chiefs winning this game. I'm. It's funny because both of my favorite teams, I'm predicting that they lose this week. But they're both playing teams that really play into what they don't do well. The Browns' pass defense has been pretty abysmal all season long. You had some injuries before the season. Grant Delpit, their rookie out of LSU, he tore his ACL, so he was out. Denzel Ward has been in and out of the lineup with some injuries. He's a really he's one of their stud corners. Their other corner, Terrence Mitchell, he's solid. Not spectacular, pretty limited as an athlete as far as corners go. Not somebody you want guarding Sammy Watkins or Miko Hardman. Uh, then they have Kevin Johnson, Who's pretty solid? He started out. He had a disappointing career with the Texans, who drafted him in the first round. Then he went around to a couple different teams. He played for the Bills last year um, as a rotational player, was solid, but he's their slot corner. I don't know. I mean, the, the safeties are really what concerned me. Rodney Harrison has been really good. Is that they Jacksonville traded him for a fifth round pick earlier this season, and that was a steal for Cleveland because he's been solid when he's been in the lineup. Cleveland's played much better in pass defense, but the biggest glaring weakness is Anderson Deho. Um, he was a former Viking. They caught him and the Browns signed him. And um, he's just been, he's blown a lot of coverages. I'm not sure if it's the defensive coaching or whatever, but it seems that the Browns are always kind of giving up a lot of big plays through the air, which is disappointing because their front seven is, uh, I'd say, slightly above average. But um, the Chiefs, I mean, Travis Kelsey, Michael Hardman, Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins. Then you have Le'Veon Bell. 
it's just you're, I don't think that I don't think that the Browns are going to be able to keep up. They might keep it to be a close game in the beginning if they can kind of get started running the football. But I have the Browns uh, the Browns losing. Excuse me, forty two to twenty eight to the Chiefs. One storyline that I like about that game is that KC coming off the bye. Are they going to be rusty or are they going to come out guns blazing? Some, I mean, Ben Roethlisberger took the last week off and sat week seventeen of uh, the NFL, and he came out and looked really really rusty versus the Browns. He played he played it up. Really bad game. Turn the ball over a bunch. And so some players play better with a break. Some players kind of don't have that consistency, and they play worse. So it'd be interesting to see what happens. I think Patrick Mahomes, if anybody is going to you just defy expectations and play solid, it's going to be him. I'm never really going to bet against him. If I was putting money on the game, I wouldn't. Um, but uh, moving on. Saints versus the Buccaneers. This is, is going to be a really interesting game. The Saints blew the... Sh- I mean... They blew the Buccaneers out of the water. They dragged them earlier this season. I actually have the Bucs winning this game, though, 35-24. The Saints, for whatever reason, just have had really, really, really bad playoff luck recently. I, you had the situation with um, the Saints versus the Rams, the year the Patriots won the Super Bowl versus the Rams, in the uh, divisional matchup. I, can't, I, I think it was like Tommy Lee Jones or something like that. Drew Brees was throwing a downfield shot. He had a receiver wide open. And one of the Saints um, safeties or corner, or I'm sorry, excuse me, one of the Rams safeties or corners just laid out the receiver before the ball even got there. And there was no flag. And it was like a blatant pass interference, one of the most egregious you'll ever see. And it wasn't called. Now, granted, the Saints had a chance to go back. Um, they, had, they had another possession after that in the game. But once you kind of lose momentum like that and you have situations where you kind of feel like the refs aren't on your side, it's really tough to win games. Then the Saints, you had... The, the Minnesota Miracle with Case Keenum to Stefan Diggs to, to send them packing. The Saints just have a really tough time in the playoffs recently. Part of it is the fact that I think there is a team. They don't really have a great overall toughness. And I think that starts with Drew Brees because he can, um, he's kind of starting to show his age. And I think the Tampa Bay defense is going to get after him a little bit. Jason Pierre-Paul is a really good outside rusher. They Even though they lost uh, they lost one of their defensive tackles, Vita Vea, um, they, still have some, they still have some good depth. Who's, there's there's somebody I can't think. Uh, Ndamukong Sue. He's he's a solid interior player on Tampa. Then you have another outside rusher for them, Shaquille Barrett. Um, I think he might have led the NFL in sacks last year, or he if not if he didn't lead, he was very really close. Then Devin White, who's just I I Devin White's a middle linebacker for um for Tampa, Bay, and I he's one of those players who I call an eraser because he just cleans up and erases any mistakes from the rest of the team on defense. He's so fast. He flies around. He's actually really fun to watch if you're watching, if you want something to pay attention to in the Tampa Bay game, because he's just a, just a missile flying around the field and he's super good. And I think that defense is pretty solid, the front seven for sure. So I think they're going to get after Drew Brees a little bit. And uh, that's why I have the Bucks winning that game. Interesting storyline for that game is Mike Evans versus Marshawn Lattimore. The last three matchups, Mike Evans has been targeted when covered by Marshawn Lattimore twice each in the last three matchups and had zero receptions. And Marshawn Lattimore went on Twitter and he tweeted at Mike Evans, better luck next year. And that's uh, to me, I love that. Lattimore seems to, he wants all the smoke and deservedly so. Mike Evans is a top 10 receiver probably in the NFL. And, you know, if you lock up those kind of players, that's, that's you know, there's that's very impressive to say the least. So uh, that's going to be a matchup to watch within that game. Last, we have the Packers versus the Rams. I have the Packers winning this game 24-10. I think it's going to be a pretty easy win for the... I don't want to say easy win for the Packers, but I think that because of Jared Goff's injury in the snow in Green Bay, the Packers really rarely lose in Lambeau Field. Aaron Rodgers leading them one of the best offenses. I think it's going to be a really good game because whenever you have the number one offense versus the number one defense... Those are, those are really fun to watch because it's just there's so much that goes into it. And, I mean, as I referenced uh, in the first episode, the Broncos versus the Seahawks in the Super Bowl in 2012. That was a wild one because, man, the Broncos, led, they, they came into the, that game with, like, one of the, I mean, with a record-setting offense, one of the best in NFL history passing with Peyton, led by Peyton Manning, and uh, they got their shit wrecked. I mean, the Seahawks bullied them all game long. Um, Malcolm Smith was the MVP of that Super Bowl. Richard Sherman played great. Uh, Byron Maxwell played great. Cam Chancellor had some big hits that kind of set the tone for the game. Anytime you have a number one defense versus a number one offense, it's going to be a really good game. Then you also have, within that matchup, um, Devontae Adams versus Jalen Ramsey. Devontae Adams, 
to me, I think you have to really start talking about him as one of the best receivers in the NFL, if not the best, because he just is uncoverable. You really, you, you just can't, you can't stop him. His routes are so elite. He's just always open. He really is. I mean, insanely good player. He developed so well for them because I remember when he was younger in his, uh, his rookie season, he dropped the ball a lot and he was kind of in the doghouse there in Rodgers. But that was back when Jordy Nelson and Randall Cobb were more um, prominent roles in that offense. But Devonta Adams has just come along insanely good as a player. And um, it's going to be really interesting to watch him face Jalen Ramsey because Jalen Ramsey's a big shit talker and deservedly so. Jalen Ramsey was a, a top pick out of Florida State University. Man, is he good. He plays so physical. He's just an elite athlete. Top end speed, really tall, long arms, can press, can play off. When he got drafted, they teams they were doing to decide it was a big question whether he'd play at corner or free safety. And if you're ever if you're ever being talked about and people can't decide if you want to play two like which position in the NFL coming into the draft, that usually means that you're just a really good athlete because you can do multiple things. I mean, if you can play multiple positions in the NFL, that's always a good thing. Um, one thing to watch in that game, though, is Aaron Donald did have a rib injury. And I'm, I'm not sure if, uh, if he practiced all week, but that's going to be something to monitor closely because, as I said in the first episode, Aaron Donald, probably the best player in the NFL, just an insanely freak athlete. So that's going to be really, really good to watch. This episode is a little bit shorter. I'm, I didn't, haven't reached an hour, but um, that's pretty much everything that I wanted to talk about. I really just wanted to get something out prior to the divisional matchups because I said that I was going to, and that was kind of where I wanted to go with that as a primer to set up these games and talk about some of these things. But please, if you're, uh, if you're still listening, rate and review. I need some feedback. I'm not really sure. I, I think that this is, you know, improving feedback is just going to help tremendously so I can improve on what I want to do, see what people like. And if there's something I need to change, then whatever that situation is, then I'll, I need to, I mean, I want to learn and get better. And, uh, and I really want, I, I hope that people enjoy this. This is something that I'm going to have to, as it starts a podcast, I'm doing it for other people, obviously, because I'm posting it on the internet, but I'm also a little bit doing it for myself because I love talking about football and I can't immediately be looking for validation on the outside as far as um, a ton of views and stuff like that, because it's just starting and it's my only second episode. So I'd appreciate it if you, if you're listening, like I said, please just rate and review Instagram DM or a text message or whatever, and let me know what you think. That's going to wrap this up. I'm, I'm going to be back soon. I'll probably do um, a reaction to the games next week um, after all these are played to see what happens um, so I can kind of compare my predictions to what actually happened within these games. But um, that's everything that I have. Thanks for listening, guys.